to 28 and Searching. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I have Angela Atkins on with me. Hi, Angela. Thanks for coming on. Hi, how are you? Good. So tell Good. us a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you located? How old are you? How long you've been in your industry? That sort of thing. Uh, well, I am in Canton, Ohio, and I am 45 years old, and I am an assistant professor of sociology, and I work at uh, Stark State College here in North Canton. And I have been, this is my ninth year uh, teaching uh, since I graduated and got my master's and am uh, working in the PhD program. And so I love it. Very cool. And so if, if you were to describe to somebody who doesn't know what either sociology is or being a professor, what, how would you describe that to somebody, um, what you do? Um, I teach, that's the easy part, but, um, I teach, I, uh, teach college students, uh, for, for gen ed purposes, as well as students who are going into my discipline about sociology, largely, uh, introduction to the field, which is the systematic study of human societies, how we interact with each other, what social patterns and social forces are. And uh, the theories that go on behind that. And so that's what I do. Very cool. And so tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Because, I mean, sociology isn't something that I ever knew about before we spoke. So um, how, how did you kind of get there? Well, I went a little bit of uh, a roundabout way, so very much the, the non-traditional route. And I, like you, really hadn't heard much about it. It was really only a class that had uh, introduced me to it. When I was when I was younger, I had wanted to be a teacher, but I thought I was going to be a music teacher, and I was very set on being a music teacher. And um, life sort of, you know, takes its own path. And so when I was in high school, I, um, I got pregnant, I dropped out of high school, and I went immediately to work and I raised a family and did that for many years. And right before my 30s, I decided it was time to go back to school. And I really wanted to go and get a college degree. So I went and I got my GED. I started at a community college. I earned my bachelor's and earned my master's. And somewhere along the way, I had to take an elective course for the gen eds. You have to a certain amount of elective courses and you just pick whatever. And honestly, I, I picked sociology because it looked like the least painful elective <laughs> and it, and it fit very well into my schedule that I was trying to craft. And so I took that and it was not very long in that course. I just thought, wow, everything made sense to me. I wanted to know more about it. And I just thought, you know, I found my people. I was very excited about that. And before that class was over, I had actually changed my major and I, I knew that that's what I wanted to teach then. Um, it was totally different than what I was currently majoring in, but it just made sense for me. Sure. And so... You were coming from a place of already having a job. You were already raising a family. I mean, you were doing it to some extent successfully, right? So what made you think you needed to go back to college? Were you just looking for something you loved or what was, what was the push there? Oh, definitely. I mean, looking, looking for something I loved and also, um, I was always a good student. I had always loved the academic environment. I had always wanted to do that and, 
you know, I mean, been working the whole time and raising a family, but it certainly wasn't um, easy. And it was, you know, a lot of uh, low wage uh, retail, hospitality. I worked in uh, restaurants. I was a server for a very long time and I worked my way up into management, but they are rough jobs. You're less likely to get things like benefits. Your pay is not good. And um, it was just time, all of those things converged and it was just time to do something else. And my kids were old enough. My oldest was uh, 13 at the time. Okay. And so um, it was just, you know, time Ready. to do that. Yeah. And were you, were you going in to become a teacher? You just didn't, just a different No. Style? Okay. No, not at all. Not that I ever stopped wanting to be a teacher. And I, I found that, you know, once I did work my way up into management uh, and restaurants, I had ultimately become like a training manager. And so I did a lot of training that way, which is its own form of teaching. And I, I enjoyed that very much. Um, doing that. I just couldn't, you know, move around every time they opened a new store by then. But uh, I didn't, when I went back to college, I didn't go with the idea of, oh, I'm going to become a teacher, mostly because I thought that ship had sailed. You know, that was a long time ago. Um, I actually thought it would be wise to major in something that now I knew something more about and something I was very interested in tinkering with. So I was originally majoring in human resources and math and computer science. Okay. And so it was very different from where I sort of ended up. But, you know, I just walking into that class was like, oh, all, all of this, this is this is what I need to do. I mean, it was just so very clear that there was, there was no way I was going to not do it at that point. And then it came back that, oh, I could totally teach this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, you talk, you're a college professor, so I'm assuming you need the degree for it. But what kind of extent of education do you need to become a professor? Um, it really depends on your field and what you're going into. There are some professors who teach, um, particularly those that are in a very highly technical field where you get things like industry certifications and they may or may not require a bachelor's or a PhD or some other form uh, of degree. And so it really depends. I know in uh, health fields, you have to have certain degrees, but you also will have certain forms of licensure or certifications. And so it depends if you're looking at the general, like I'm in social sciences or humanities or something like that. For most community colleges, or if you're a visiting professor somewhere, will require minimum of a master's degree and usually some doctoral level credit, even if you do not have the PhD yet. Mm -hmm. If you're talking a traditional university, uh, especially a research university, they're going to want a PhD. And so it really, it just depends on where you go, what you need and, and what your discipline is. Okay. And, and that schooling doesn't stop with the degree, right? So, you, cause you have to keep up your credentials, right? You should. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, um, again, it depends on the field. Like for a college professor, it's not like you have continuing education in many fields. Which is like um, what high school has, right? Cause I know- ye- High school oh, teachers have it, right? Like, yeah, there's uh, there's certain. Requ- I'm not sure what all they are, but I know that there's certain requirements that every so often you have to go and renew licensure and do all of that. 
you can really do the same thing at the college professor level, unless, again, you're in something like a highly technical field where you have to renew something every year mm-hmm. or health or something like that. And so it depends. As a standard rule, it, it may not be ongoing in that sense, but ongoing in that you should always stay up on what's in your field and what's going on. And so that's a requirement. Okay. And so somebody's interested in either, you know, sociology or becoming a professor, what's a good starting point, like a job or something they can do that can prepare them to see if it's something they actually want or they'll enjoy, um, somewhere where they can get a feel for the, the, that career choice before they actually put in all the time to get the education and go through that process? Well, for uh, someone who's interested in teaching and particularly teaching at the college level, I would say the, the best thing to do is to talk to faculty, seek out people who are already in the field doing what you would like to do and talk to them. Um, professors often have office hours and you can contact people and, and say, I would like to come in and talk to you and just, you know, give them a, a quick rundown in that sense. Now, if someone is interested in sociology and not necessarily in teaching, it's not sure, you know, what can I do with this? Mm -hmm. Uh, Find any sociologist will be happy to sit down with you. And um, we have, uh, the field is wide open in terms of people having sociology degrees and and what they do. And it, it ranges from something like working in social media um, working in, uh, you know, government jobs, doing um, statistics processing, into private industries. To, I mean, there is just all sorts of ways it can be useful. So you don't necessarily have to go into an academic job. But if you are interested in teaching, and particularly teaching sociology, absolutely the first step is to not only talk to your college advisors, but talk to actual faculty who are doing it and, and help them, you know, let them help you get to a place where you can see if this is for you. And there's going to be, is, is a sociology professor in almost any college, like, is that a pretty common um, class? Because I know there are specialized classes that you only find at certain universities, that sort of thing. Right. I, I would, I don't know for sure, but I would say that sociology is probably an offering in just about every college and university in the United States until that changes and those, you know, programs might be taken away. We are in sort of an environment where, where that might be changing, but it's a pretty standard uh, gen ed sort of course that applies to, to everyone. And so you can, it's, often offered as an elective and many times required. Okay. And what would you say is the first job that you had that kind of you think most well prepared you for what you're doing now? And it doesn't have to be necessarily related to now, but just something where you gained the necessary skill set to be able to be successful in your current position. Oh, uh, restaurant serving. Okay. (laughs) I know that sounds odd, but... Um, a lot of teaching is, I mean, you have to like people. If you, if you do not like people or like interacting with people, teaching is not for you. Sure. It just isn't. And um, restaurant serving is much the same way. And you go through all of these interactions, figuring out how you change from one to, to the other, trying to 
um, make everything work together. And there's just a lot of overlap in that. So as odd as it sounds, I think the skills that I got in serving and dealing with people and, and how to do things sort of, you know, shift gears on the fly or deal with something that's thrown at you out of the middle of nowhere. And now you have to figure out what to do. And all of those things became very useful and are still very useful. So um, I think that you can, for most jobs, you can pull skills from something else that you've had that don't, it's not necessarily a one-to-one, you know, you, yeah. you may have to be sort of creative in figuring out where they fit, but they do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, somebody could, you know, as long as they're doing a customer service based job, um, that, you know, they might get a good idea of how it is working with people so that they know, like, they see the connection of the two. They're, they're gaining some skills. So not, they don't have to be in a teaching setting to learn some of the skills you need to be a teacher. Absolutely. Although the teacher within me has to, has to immediately point out like students aren't customers. Um, that is, if that's ever the idea that somebody goes into teaching with, that's really problematic. Colleges and universities in, in some respects have taken that path and, and it's been problematic for us. So it's not, again, it's not direct to like students aren't your customers. It's a different sort of interaction, but dealing with people absolutely is a transferable skill. And it's true for not just dealing with students, but you have to deal with administrators and faculty colleagues and publishing representatives and all of that. And so they will they will all make use of those skills. Well, and I know because I, I, I have interviewed a um, professional food server who talked about how it's, you know, it's kind of, um, it's something that tests you because one person may be, <laughs> in one situation may be horrible, and then the next one you still have to not bring that horrible situation to the next one. Absolutely. And I feel like that might also happen with teaching, right? Because you have multiple classes in a day and one might be horrible. <laughs> And right. You can't bring it to the next one, right? Or you get that one student that you just gets under your skin, but you can't bring it to the rest of the class, right? Absolutely. I think that's a that's a really good comparison is that you can't allow those things to sour all of your other interactions. Uh, in serving, it's really like that is going to affect your pocketbook and your bottom line because it's going to affect your tips. Uh, in teaching and in the classroom situation, it is going to affect everything that you're trying to build on. So yeah, you definitely have to be able to not carry those things through if it's a less than optimal experience. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So on the restaurant, uh, first job, kind of gaining the skill sets, moving on from that, if we're looking at um, personality traits that are going to work in your environment, either in you know, being a professor or a professor of sociology specifically, what would you say are some good personality traits that work? Um, patience. Yeah, you, you have to be patient. Uh, you have to realize that when you're teaching, you are in a profession where it's not, you know, students aren't just little receptacles that you just fill up at will and then they, you know, rattle it back to you and you should never approach it that way. And so you have to understand that, learning something, especially something that involves a lot of critical thinking, is a process. And you have to be patient with that. And you have to allow for people to come to that at, at different rates and different paces. And, you know, sometimes you will try things that 
are just do not pan out or you will have a hard time making a point or someone will have a harder time understanding a concept and you just have to be patient about that. So that's, you know, number one. Um, and with that, you have to be flexible. Teaching is, um, a demanding thing. And if you always approach it with always exactly the same and you expect every day and every lesson and every class to completely be the same, you will be sorely disappointed and it will be very stressful. So I think flexibility, adaptability, those are important sort of things. And, um, you know, again, you, you need to have that take joy in just interacting with people. Not that every interaction is joyful, but that you, that you appreciate doing that and you like doing that. And I think those are very important skills to have. Okay. And what part of your personality do you think lends well for you being successful in this career? Well, um, I, I am very flexible and I do, um, you know, for the most part, and I do um, have a vested interest in getting students to think critically. And I, I understand that it's a process. And so, and I enjoy that process. So I think that that uh, helps me a great deal, the ability to sort of do that and to adapt in the moment if you need to. I mean, if something, if something is not working for either a particular student or or for a particular group, I mean, I've had that had happen too. I've had something that works really well for most people and then have a particular group dynamic where it just falls flat. And you have to be able to sort of turn on a dime and try to figure out something else and try to make the material meaningful to them. And so I think that, um, I think that my characteristic of doing that fairly well, not always perfect, uh, helps a great deal, certainly. Okay. And what is the one personality trait that if somebody has, they should just not look into this career path? Like, it's not even worth going down because it will not work out if they have this certain trait. Um, I think if you're someone who, I mean, aside from the fact of if you hate dealing with other people, just no, that's not going to work out. But I think also if you're someone who does not deal with change well, um, and there are some people like, you know, they need the routine. It has to be predictable and consistent. And that's not, you know, that's not a value judgment on them. It's just yeah. there are certain professions where it's much more predictable and you can have a plan and you can stick to the plan provided that you do all the things that you need to do. And that is not ever going to be the case in teaching and certainly not when you teach within a larger bureaucratic structure like a college or a university. That's never going to pan out the way that you think that it's going to. And, and I think it would be very difficult for people for whom, if that's the most important thing to them, teaching is going to be totally stressful for them. Okay. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people might ne not might not necessarily have connected the two. Because when you think about, oh, you just do the same thing day in and day out, but you really don't because you're dealing with people, right? And people are right. constantly changing. They're constantly changing you, what you do. So, <laughs> right, right. I can absolutely see that being the case. And it, it, it does take all kinds, but it's important for people to know 
you know, what kinds that, where their type of um, thoughts or their type of values are going to fit. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's true. And I, and I also think that um, there is a personality trait, I don't know if it's a trait or just an approach that, you know, people, some people like to go into what they do and they like to shine and be the best at it and be very vocal about doing that, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you are teaching and you approach teaching as what I want to do is walk into a classroom and tell everybody how smart I am on a regular basis, that's not going to work out well for you either. I think yeah. one of the earliest lessons you learn as teaching is that nobody is as smart as they think that they are. Yeah. And it is a very, it is a very humbling, I mean, it's wonderful and rewarding, but it is also a very humbling thing. And so you have to learn very quickly that students have an amazing amount to teach you. And so if you go into that classroom with this idea of uh, nobody can teach me anything and I'm going to show them how smart I am, you're going to have a bad time and your students are going to have a bad time and altogether nobody's going to be learning and that's going to be a problem. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, that that's another great one because you'd think teaching, you want to be the smartest in the room, but that may not be true entirely. Right. Right. So what, what's a part of your personality that you struggled with where you either had to change yourself or you had to change the job so that it suited you more, um, suited you more? Um, well, actually my personality trait that is most challenging for me really isn't, it really doesn't come to play in the classroom as much. I, um, one of the things that maybe makes me love sociology so much is I have a little bit of a rebellious fight the man streak, always have, and, um, and that's important to me, but, um, again, when you work in a bureaucracy, big bureaucracy, like a college or university, there are certain things with which you just have to comply, and there are certain aspects in which, you know, conformity is needed in following bureaucratic rules. And I got to tell you, I have zero tolerance for bureaucratic stuff. And so I often, my default is often feels antagonistic to that. Like, what is the bureaucracy doing to me today? And I know it's not always (laughs) like that. And so sometimes I do, it is a challenge to remind myself that, you know, sometimes you just have to do things because you have to do them. And then, and there is parts of the job and everybody has them that, are not my favorite and I don't like them, but you know, you have to render unto Caesars what is Caesars. And um, so I do the best I can with that. I've actually carved out some people, some colleagues, very good friends and colleagues of mine that um, are really good at understanding that sort of stuff. And I will often go to them and have them, I don't know, talk me down a little bit, like, yeah. <laughs> tell me the logic between behind this bureaucratic process, so I can make peace with doing it. And they're very good at doing that. And so they're extraordinarily helpful. I just recognize that that is something I will always have as a challenge. So, you know, my rebellious streak gives me trouble sometimes. But Sure. But it's all right. <laughs> and I almost feel like that might be a connection to your students because um, <laughs> I'm going to school right now, right? And so I know that sometimes I have to tell myself, like, even if I think it's silly, I need to write this paper and I need to do it this way. I right. just have 
to do it because that's what's, you know, that that's the assignment and I have to. So I feel like that might be something you could, con- you know, that's almost a connector of your Oh, definitely your it teaching. is. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And so if, you, if you're looking at, so I know you said that you were an associate professor, correct? I am an assistant professor. Assistant professor. So what is the latter? What is the, what does that mean when you're going through where you can be as a professor? What's kind of the distinction of the titles? Well, and it's, and it's interesting for people outside of academia. If you say things like assistant professor or associate professor, it almost seems like, you know, the rest of the world works on this basis of when you say assistant something, it's as if you are a helper, right? Mm -hmm. You're not the primary person in there. And it doesn't work the same way in academia. Um, The ranks are for most of us are you come in at an instructor level or in some places lecturer, it depends on the designation that they give you. And then as you advance in rank, which is like being promoted from uh, within, you go to assistant professor and then associate professor and then to full professor. If you're at a place that has a tenure system, then um, certain forms of tenure are associated with that. My particular institution, we don't have tenure, but we still have the rank system. And so you can go every so many years and you put together a portfolio to show how you have, you know, not only met the goals of your position, but you sort of exceeded and you've done well. And uh, basically it's a form of promotion uh, for us, for those of us who teach at the college level. Okay. And so if you, are there any steps forward? Like if, let's say you're, you know, you're a professor, a full professor, you're at the end of the tenure or, um, you know, you're at the highest designation that they can give you is there a like can you move on to anything else like can you become dean or what what comes after that oh you absolutely can uh and that depends on you i mean there's all sorts of ways that you could make horizontal or you know horizontal than vertical moves so you can move into something like being a department coordinator or a department chair or a dean you can move up into the administrative ranks um, and start taking over more administrative responsibilities and less teaching responsibilities, right? So your pur- your proportion of time spent in those activities and your responsibilities in, in where you pan out in that, those all start to change. So it really depends on you. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I none of that is interesting to me. I don't at any point want to be in any sort of administrative task because (laughs) (laughs) because my rebellious side absolutely my (laughs) rebellious side says no and frankly I wouldn't be good at it I mean Mm -hmm. the best administrators I know do like they're good at getting those tasks done because there are things that need to be done and I just know I wouldn't do them I would be a terrible administrator and I also dislike intensely anything that takes me out of the classroom. So for me, no, that is not, (laughs) you know, that is not moving out of that. But for someone who finds that, yeah, I am interested in that and I do want to move up in the ranks, absolutely. Um, Often department chairs are chosen from former faculty and and frankly, they should be. Um, And so you do have to have those skills behind you. So certainly there's a whole path open if someone chooses to pursue it. Okay. And so what kind of 
different industries? Because I know you know you're in you're at a community college. Is that going mm-hmm. to differ when you go from a community college to a university to a, you know maybe a private or like a religious um, type? Do those does your job change as you move through different types of colleges? Oh, absolutely, it can. Um, and and like you said, it depends on the institution that you're in. So some of the expectations might be different, like. At a community college like where I'm at, the, your primary responsibility is teaching. And so when you do things like advance in rank or go for promotion, you're focusing on teaching-related activities, what you did in terms of professional development for teaching, things like that. If you're working at um, a university like a research university mm-hmm. or at the top-tier research universities, which are referred to as R1s, Um, those faculty in their tenure system, there is an expectation that publishing and research will happen at a particular rate. So your course load that you're teaching is lower because you have a different uh, responsibility. And so the, the emphasis, it's not that the emphasis isn't on teaching. It's just that is a smaller proportion of what you're expected to do. So you're also expected to do things like publish, research, um, service, and we all have service, but it looks a little bit different. At a private institution, you may have that uh, system in place, but then also other things that you're expected to do. And you may have um, other sorts of rules and whatever that you're expected to follow. And so it really does depend on, on the institution. Me personally, I would probably, even if I could go anywhere that I wanted, would probably uh, go to a community college simply because I not only like the population of students, but the emphasis is on teaching, right, as a social institution. And I think that that is very important. I personally have a great deal of respect for research. I teach our research methods course. I think it's fascinating. And I love all of that stuff. But I would wither in a <laughs> in one of those programs where, you know, 50% of it is you're researching and the emphasis is on publishing, like publishing journal articles. I would absolutely hate that because, again, it takes me out of the classroom. And so part of the part of the thing to being successful or at least loving your job is knowing where you're going to thrive versus where it's not going to work out for you. Sure. And I heard something that you said that was kind of key, too, is that uh, the population of who's at the colleges, the different places changes, right? So you you have to also consider that if you're looking at, you know, if I want to be a professor, I've just got my PhD and I'm choosing where to go, that might be a factor that steers me to where I want to be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to consider that. And then ultimately, like once you get into the job, whatever population you are is going to change, uh, not that you have, but certainly how you approach it, what kind of activities that you do, um, because that's that part of being adaptable, you know. Mm -hmm. And so does it does like I know you talked about the research responsibilities, but does it also change your responsibilities of to the school? Because like. I, I don't know about in colleges, but in high schools, you know, they expect you to go for clubs or that kind of thing. Do they do that in college as well? Um, it depends on where you're at. So okay. in some places for tenured faculty, yeah, there's a certain like hours commitment for service or a component of it. Um, where I'm at, we do have an expectation for service, but it's not a 
it's not a direct, like you have to spend so many hours in doing service or so many hours in committees, or you have to at least chair one committee. It's, it doesn't really operate that way. It's much more of a find what is meaningful to you. So there are opportunities to participate in shared governance in the college. There are opportunities to be an advisor for a club if you're so interested in that. Um, So it really depends on what that is and uh, on where you are as to what that looks like. So somebody's wanting to become a professor and, you know, they've got all these different, um, you know, these different industries, so to speak. I mean, they're the same, they do the same thing, but they run differently. Um, Mm. How, how would they go about finding out which one might work better for them? Uh, Ask, ask the faculty. Yep. (laughs) I mean, that's, I, I, for most people, you can reach out to faculty. Now you may reach out to people and, you know, they're busy or they don't check their email or they just, you know, they don't know who you are and they're not going to get back to you. And that's true. I think that's true in any, uh, any sort of place. But for the most part, you will always be able to find people who are doing that and just ask them, um, ask those questions about what is this like? What can I expect? Uh, go for a visit if you can, you know, depending if you're close by or whatever, those things are helpful. Okay. And if we're so in becoming a professor, what are some of the drawbacks to that career choice? Um, pay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go into teaching if you want to get rich because that is never, ever going to be the case. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, maybe if you're going to end up at a place like Harvard at the top of the cream of the crop, then, you know, I'm sure that those are some pretty comfortable salaries. But as a general rule, people do not, and I think should not, go into teaching with the idea of I'm going to strike it materially rich. Like Mm -hmm. that's just not going to happen. That's not to say we shouldn't be paid a living wage because we should. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, we don't pay any teacher enough. Particularly, we don't pay like kindergarten teachers and elementary school teachers enough. Those people should get (laughs) hazard pay, I think. Um, But if that's the goal to be materially successful in that way, teaching is not for you. And so that's, you know, that's the big caution. I, I think that being clear in what you actually want out of your job and what you can live with and what you can't is maybe the first step. Okay. And cause I, cause I think that's a good point because a lot of people think that once you become a college professor, you just make bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's, <laughs> I mean, again, maybe if you're at a very ritzy, posh institution and you have tenure and you've been there for a while, potentially. But for the most part, um, no, that is not at all the case, particularly at a community college or particularly if you are what's referred to as an adjunct uh, professor. Those are they're effectively part time professors, but they're not part time. They teach full time. in, In fact, sometimes they teach more than any of us do but they don't have access to benefits. They don't have access to those sorts of things. And for many of them, it's poverty wages and institutions take advantage of that. And so it is, it is a serious concern. This mainstream, very frequent idea that somehow college professors all sort of sitting around eating bonbons and, you know, laughing all the way to the bank. (laughs) Nobody is doing that. Like nobody is doing that at, at that 
at that sort of place. It just isn't happening. And and also this idea that, um, you know, teachers stop their workday at three and they have all summers off. Also, no, I I don't really know anyone that does that. We we all teach in the summer. Well, most of us teach in the summer because you have to. Yeah. And um, I don't know anybody that just shuts off at, mm, sorry, it's been a 40-hour work week and I'm done and I have to go it. Like, nobody does that. So you have to know those things going into it. Okay. So it, it does have extensive hours. Um, it's kind of a lifestyle more than a job, it sounds like. <laughs> that is a good way to put it. Yes, for <laughs> sure. For sure. That yeah, I'll tell you what, that is sometimes that's the one thing I really miss about serving more than anything else um, is that you could just have a just a just slammed shift and it was just terrible and it was awful and it was, you know, 12 hour double shift. But, but when you over. were done with your side work, <laughs> yeah, and you walked out that door, you were done until you came back in for your next shift. And yes. there are many times I sort of miss that. Like, I don't want to bring work home and I'm going to be working on stuff at home, but you, you adjust and you make peace with it. But I, I do miss that on occasion. So what is the market like, um, the job market in teaching for colleges? It's not good. Okay, I got to so tell you, it's not good. Super yeah, competitive. It's, it is, yeah, super competitive. There are, uh, and not just competitive, there are a reduced amount of positions, largely because of what I mentioned before, uh, institutions are frankly trying to save money by having more and more of their classes taught by adjunct instructors so that mm. they do not have to pay benefits. And so full-time positions are few and far between. And so that, that has become a real problem. I mean, I am, I don't work at an institution with tenure and, but I still can recognize I am in a very privileged position in that I have a full-time position and it does have benefits and it is more of the traditional part. And we have very few of those, um, you know, 76% of college courses in the nation are taught by adjunct instructors. Oh, this wow. is a, yeah, this is a real problem that we need to discuss socially. Like it's, it's getting out of hand. So for someone going into that and thinking that, oh, I'm going to slide right into a full-time position somewhere, that actually is something that they should be aware of that the market is not good. Okay. Okay. So if we flip the sides, what are what are some of the positives of what, you know, of of your career choice? What are some of the things that people can benefit from? Um, well, if we're looking at, you know, personal sort of benefits and satisfaction is this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And so there is that idea of not getting up in the morning and going, "Oh, <laughs> I hate this job and what am I going to do? You know, we've all had those oh, jobs yeah. where you just rack your brain for an hour. Like I got to try to get myself into a frame of mind where I can actually go to work because I just hate it so much. And I don't do that. I mean, as you know, I don't like the bureaucratic aspect of it. There are certain aspects of my job that are less pleasant than others, but uh, I don't do that. I absolutely love what I do. I love spending time uh, with students. There is absolutely nothing better. And so I feel like that suits my principles as a human being. And it is very personally rewarding in that way. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a very meaningful thing. And so I think if, if those sorts of things are important to you, then um, this is going to 
this is going to help. It, it, it does me for sure. Okay. And what has been the worst day of your career so far? <laughs> I literally just had it last week. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, there had been, and, and there have been some really hard times. Like I, I do remember once that, um, we had collectively found out in a classroom that a student who had, and we all liked the student, but had been absent for a while. And somebody had announced that, um, they had died and oh, no. it was just like, that was hard. That was a terrible, like, Oh, you know, so yeah. that was a hard day, but, um, just last week and it was just like a work related day, but it just, it panned up so terribly. I had, I had planned this activity that I thought was fabulous and had this lesson to go with it. And I was all excited to try it. And I think I sort of overexcited myself about it. Oh no! And there were some things that I didn't anticipate, which in retrospect, I was like, Oh, that was a very bad idea. And so here I go and I do this in the classroom and I had five classes that day and it was in every single one of them. And it failed miserably and not just like, Oh, you guys, this didn't go over well. Like, it was bad and it was hard. And I wanted oh. to sob at the end of the day because I couldn't stop it. It was like going into every single one of these classes and watching a slow motion train wreck. And there was nothing you could do. You just had to let, hopefully, like let the time expire. And you like it anticipate was, it because what else are you yes. going to do? Like, yes. And oh. so halfway through the day, I'm going into the next class and I'm like, and I did that thing where you're bringing it over from the last bad experience and it was all bad. And then, and then I was feeding into it. It was not good for anyone. And it was totally like, I did not plan well enough. There were so many things that I was like, Oh man, I should have thought about that. And I didn't. And it was bad. It was very demoralizing. Like I got to the end of the day and did the, Oh, I'm the worst teacher on the planet. Oh man. I, yeah, I so I, to that. <laughs> Yeah, it just was like, and sometimes you have those days. I mean, you have to be able to shake them off, but it was the, it lasted for a while. It wasn't just the, oh, okay, my last class is over. And so everything is fine and I'm going to start again. It actually was demoralizing for quite some time and it will probably always sting when I think about it. So, you know, those, yeah. those sorts of things happen. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I can absolutely relate to that. I did, uh, in high school, I did speech and debate. Mm. And so you basically write your argument and then you go through a whole day of like seven hours worth of debates, right? And oh, yes. once you write it, that's what you are stuck with. Right. And I had to go through all my debates with a horrible argument that I thought was going to be awesome and I just got... <sighs> completely ripped apart by everybody. <laughs> yes. And that's it what it feels like. Oh yes. It definitely, I mean, you learn from it for mm -hmm. sure, or you should learn from it, but it is, it is not a good memory. No, absolutely. <laughs> so if we flip that, what's going to be the best day of your career so far? Um, the best days are for me, always the days where I can see someone have the aha moment. Mm -hmm. And you just see that it clicks for them, whether it's a lot of stuff clicked for them or something little clicked for them, but you see it, you see a little spark happen there. Those for me are the best days or when students say something like, oh, that's just like this happens in real life or, oh, I just saw an example of that on the news. I mean, we live in a world that 
you know, let's be honest, for someone who teaches sociology, like this is everything is ripe for material right now. Yeah. It's very chaotic and, <laughs> and, you know, all of that stuff going on. And, and I've long ago made peace with the fact that most of my students are not going to go into sociology. Most of them are not going to go into social science. And so the goal becomes me giving them something to take away with them, right? What can you take away with you into whatever field that you're going into? And as a citizen of the world, this is an important thing. So I want them to take something with them. And, and I've also realized that sometimes the best you can do is plant seeds. I mean, we, in, in my discipline, we talk about difficult and sometimes very challenging things like discrimination and prejudice and racism and sexism and homophobia and things that can sometimes be uh, contentious subjects to discuss. They require a lot of critical thinking. And so uh, I plant seeds and yeah. the best days are when you can see one of those little seeds grow for just a moment and they have the aha moment and it's fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what made you fall in love with your career? Um, well, to a certain degree, I've always just liked teaching, uh, in that way. What made me fall in love with sociology was simply that everything clicked and everything made sense. And I felt like I found my people mm -hmm. and the emphasis in sociology for me was, you know, seeing how the individual and societies are brought together and the idea that we all live in the society together. We all construct it together. And so as much as we might look at things like social problems and persistent patterns, there's also this great hope in it that if we construct the world, we can always construct it in really fabulous ways because people are amazing and we can do amazing things. So for me, sociology was like not only understanding very complex, complicated problems and addressing them, but also just this great piece of hope about holding up the best parts of humanity and how can we do that the best way. And that spoke to me a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. And so are there any current expansion plans or large milestones that are coming up for you in your career? Um, the only thing I've Uh, that portfolio. I think there was this old Seinfeld episode where they were laughing about everybody being an associate, and it always makes me giggle when I say that. But I am, I am sort of going up for that next. Uh, I'm currently in the PhD program at University of Akron, student, and so I'm open to get there have a PhD and, you know, dump through the hoops and get the next degree. And so that's what's on the horizon for me. Sure. Oh, totally wanted to be a teacher. Totally wanted to be a teacher. Yes. I did. I did. I thought I was going to be a music teacher. So I didn't quite end up in the same field because I, I wanted to be a band teacher with every fiber of my being until I was in high school. But but yeah, I, I sort of knew that part of it.
Oh, that's a hard one. Um, the best piece of advice I have received, I think, is that you got to love it. And if you don't love it, you should think about not, um, you know, you should do something else. And that was, it wasn't to push anybody out or to be threatening or anything. It's just that this is a hard job and you have, you can have a really serious impact on people. And so know that that's a powerful thing. And if you don't love it, you're going to do yourself a disservice and you're going to do your students a disservice. So you have to love it and you, you have to love them. And um, that's rule number one, I think. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, don't be. <laughs> I, that just seems like such silly advice. But if there were ever a textbook case of somebody who did everything on the wrong timeline and totally did not follow what you're supposed to do, I do believe that person would be me. Uh, I did I did everything in the wrong order. I, I didn't do it the way I was supposed to do. And certainly had this, at least when I was a kid, I had this carefully laid out plan of what I was going to do. I mean, I even knew where I was going to go to college and what my program was going to look like and what age I was going to graduate. And like, I was on it. I had a plan and it did not work out that way at all. And so I did I followed all of the advice that we warn kids of things not to do. I did all of those things. And you you come out at the end okay. You you persevere and you figure out that you're resilient and and you realize that nothing is a one-shot thing. It's not like you have one window and then you've passed it and then you can never get it back. I mean, I think there are very few things like that. Maybe if you're Maybe if you're a young going into professional athlete and you get, you know, massively wounded and you can't perform anymore, that might be a one shot thing. But for the most part, you know, anything else beside that, there's no there's no time limit, especially when you talk about something like education. The only person's timeline that matters is yours. And so to anybody who's feeling sort of discouraged about you know, where am I going? Or, or I don't know if I can change at this point. I don't know if I can do something else. I would say, push all of that to the side and just go and do it. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you like this episode, or you're looking to change your career, go to 28andsearching.com or become a patron to get exclusive content sent directly to you. See you next week.